This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. I don't think you can talk about the future of anything without technology being part of the conversation. The thing that was really interesting about technology from a workforce perspective is that the leading narrative around technology and workforce is usually that it will lead to a workforce reduction. But the other part of the conversation that is really interesting and that's often missed is the job creation that's going to occur as a result of technology. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm the host, Trevor Durin. I'm super excited to have two colleagues from my practice, Pam Dolan and Janelle Kwan, to talk about a recent report they wrote around the healthcare workforce of the future. As you can imagine, this is a topic we get tons of questions about. Janelle has probably talked to so many of you about this research and about her extended research on healthcare workforce trends in general. But we wanted to take a further outlook because so much of the hard work health systems have done and continue to do is very focused on reacting to immediate problems, triaging and working day to day to make sure there's enough people in the hospital and all your sites to see the patients that need to be seen. So you took a little bit longer horizon. Pam, what did the future mean in this case? SG2 forecast timelines are 10 years, but that doesn't mean that everything we do is a 10-year horizon. How far out did you guys go? How did you think about the future for this report and body of research? It actually changed through the course of writing the report. We knew early on we weren't going to take a forecast-based approach to the research, but instead look at it more conceptually from the perspective of what the world in general is going to look like in the future, and then put a healthcare lens on it and figure out how healthcare is going to have to adapt to that new world and then what workforce needs would come from that. Knowing that we weren't going to be taking a forecast-based approach, we knew we had to go at least 10 years out, but we didn't want to go too far out because we knew that's not really how health systems approach workforce planning. We initially landed on 12 years, calling it the Workforce of 2035 Project. And as I started working on the first draft, I was getting hung up because in order to look forward, you have to look back. And so I was looking back 12 years, and I know this is not going to come as a shock to anyone listening, but healthcare has been really slow to change in a lot of ways. 12 years ago, I was a healthcare technology reporter, and I was thinking about all the things that I was writing about, and I realized that we're still writing about a lot of those things today, and so not a whole lot has changed. When I was thinking about the future, I had a really hard time thinking about this world being much different and it was going to require a much different workforce. We talked about it as a team and decided to expand the horizon to 20 years using that same approach. Looking back 20 years, I was thinking about some of the things that are ubiquitous in our day-to-day lives today and where they were 20 years ago. And then things started getting interesting using technology as a proxy that smartphones have changed just the way that we work, live, and play. And they didn't exist 20 years ago. This first uh, smartphone was launched in 2007. So 20 years ago, we were still using Palm Pilots and Blackberries. I'm dating myself now. That really changed the way that we work. If you think about where we are today, 20 years from now, it gets a little more interesting. And we were using that 20-year time frame as a target. Yeah, and Trevor, I think the only thing I would add to that is health systems have done a lot of meaningful work to address here and now workforce issues. Where do I have shortages? What can I do to stabilize my current workforce? But I think Pam and I in our work realized that they needed to have that future focused lens and the failure to do that in the past, if we're being really honest, has led to or contributed some of the challenges that health systems are navigating now. And how can we provide some insight to help prevent that future from coming up again? 
Before we get into the exciting stuff, what you learned, what you focused on, some of the things that really popped, talk a little bit about the process. How did you try to stay that future focused throughout this body of research? Because this is a little different than a lot of our normal projects. We knew that we needed to look outside of healthcare, trying to figure out what does that future world look like over the next two decades. Given some of those bigger changes, what would that mean when we think about our future healthcare workforce? We ended up actually looking at a series of different drivers that ranged from population to the future of food and transportation and education, among some other drivers. And we used that to sketch out what does the future patient look like? What are the services that they need? Where might they be treated? And then thinking about what are the type of workforce that we need to be able to adequately care for that population? In some respects, it aligns with some of the approaches we've taken in the past when we build the impact of change forecast. That also is informed by a series of individual impact factors. Janelle, give me something that popped through that research. What was one theme or something that stood out that was unexpected? Alongside some of those drivers, something that became really apparent in our work is we're undergoing a larger cultural shift around work itself. And that's happening in real time, both how people think about the role of work in their life, but also how people approach building a career. I think some of this is a shorter term artifact of the chaos of the last few years. People taking stock and figuring out what do I want and what does that mean as it relates to work. But some of it in the research Pam and I were doing is really also reflective of these generational differences that we see. If you think about Gen Z, over the next two decades, they will come to lead our healthcare workforce. And in a lot of respects, they have very different ideas about work than the generations that preceded them. More likely to have multiple jobs at once, more likely to see work as fluid in the context of being able to try out different professions, cross sectors. That is very important when we think about who makes up our future workforce. But if you're a health system, that's also important if you think about the process of figuring out new roles and reimagining the work. Those shifts have to be factored into that planning. Pam, what really surprised you or one big theme that stood out? The whole technology theme. I don't think you can talk about the future of anything without technology being part of the conversation. The thing that was really interesting about technology from a workforce perspective is that the leading narrative around technology and workforce is usually that it will lead to a workforce reduction. And people are always concerned about that. But what we found is there will indeed be jobs that are going to be filled by robots and automation, but that's actually going to be necessary. And these aren't going to be taking jobs away, but these are going to be jobs that we can't fill because we we simply don't have enough people to fill these jobs. So we're talking about some of the jobs that are hard to fill today that are low paying, maybe have a high turnover rate. These are things that could easily be automated. But the other part of the conversation that is really interesting and that's often missed is the job creation that's going to occur as a result of technology. We're talking about new jobs, jobs that are going to require brand new skills, new curriculums from medical schools and other universities, and also dual track training programs. One example that comes to mind is AI. We're already seeing this happen. There was an article that came out a couple of weeks ago about a med school in Texas that announced the first ever dual AI medicine degree. There's going to be more following suit. We'll see more of those types of things. The technology job creation is going to be an interesting one to watch. That's a great one. So you've started sharing some of this research with our members, with health system leaders. What's one of your jobs of the future that they latch on to and always want to talk about and want to hear more about? 
our Silver Tsunami Squad with the jazzy title, but really having a designated team that delivers senior-focused care has been something as we've had conversations with members that has resonated. Part of it is a little bit shock value. Organizations have known for a long time that the population is aging. It was a surprise for some that the extent to which people are also living longer. If you are a child growing up today, there is a greater than zero chance that you are going to live until you're 100. The particular interest in this patient population, a lot of the organizations we work with are thinking now about what are the right mix of people and services that they need to be able to adequately treat a senior population that is increasingly diverse both in their clinical needs, where they live, but also their age range. And in the report, we walk through some specific roles that health systems will need across each phase of the aging process. That's provided, we hope, a nice tangible framework for health systems as they're embarking on the work of building out their continuum of services. And for some of the roles we do highlight, a focus on senior care, there's already work today that organizations can do to advance that work. You brought up two terms in the report that I really liked, that health systems are going to have to play the role of both workforce conveners and workforce incubators. What does that mean? Is that a new role? Are some leading systems already doing that today? Pam, tell me more about that. Some systems are doing part of that today. One of the things that we found in our research was that over the course of the pandemic, there were a lot of community college programs that closed during the pandemic. And these were programs that were serving as feeders to health systems and their skilled labor force. So we're talking about non-degreed jobs that are still essential, that they no longer have this pipeline to. The hospitals are going to have to stand up their own workforce development programs. Meanwhile, you're thinking about the workforce challenges that health systems are facing, but we're we're facing these challenges across all industries. If you think about hospitals in a lot of communities are the largest employers, they're going to be really well suited to take that role on in their communities and form strategic partnerships and alliances with community groups, schools, and other employers to help train, mentor, and provide space for incubators to develop this workforce in their communities. For some of our specific cohorts of health systems, there's some unique roles they can play. If you think about an academic medical center, they sit at the intersection of clinical care, research, and education. That combination of expertise makes them particularly well-suited to play the role of convener. They can work with the health system to pilot test new degree programs or certificates. They can use their research as incubator of some of the new technology that they can test out. And for some of our IDNs or community-based health systems, they can also have a clear role to play in this by serving as test sites or teaching sites for some of that new talent. The key here is that health systems touch upon so much their anchors in their community. If we think forward is a way for them to really play a key role in addressing some of the workforce shortages they're facing now, but as we look off across the horizon. To the earlier point that I was making about some of these dual training tracks that are going to be necessary given the technology, hospitals are going to play an important role of that because there's going to be um, different disciplines that are going to be combined with medicine. Hospitals are going to provide that part of it while somebody in technology may be providing the other half, like software architects, for example, who are interested in medicine. Hospitals may join forces with other technology companies in their communities, for example, to create these dual training tracks. I like it. One of the fun parts of our research is you talk about more things, more possibilities than ever can make it into final product. What were a couple jobs of the future that got kicked around but ultimately didn't quite make the cut? I'll start with an example and then I'll kick it over to Pam. 
We talked a lot about the role of medical ethics. There are certainly medical ethicists within health systems now, but one of the things we batted back and forth as a group is we see a world where there is an expanded scope of their responsibilities or there's some specialization within that. When you think about the proliferation of technology or AI-enabled solutions, that introduces some kind of potentially thorny ethical questions. When is the right or wrong time to use technology, especially if we think of a frontier where technology is potentially informing and making clinical decisions. AI continues to rapidly advance, but it was designed by humans with the natural biases that come in that. How can we make sure that whatever technology that we adopt, we kind of limit those biases or are well aware of some of those potential limitations? So that kind of larger thornier question of what do we do and how do we adapt when technology continues to play an increasingly active role in how we deliver care for patients? My example was actually briefly mentioned in the report, but I didn't go into as much detail in the report as I would have liked. And it involves 3D printing, more specifically 3D organ printing. One job of the future to watch is the 3D organ printing team. And so I found it was really interesting because we're already seeing 3D printing being used in the healthcare space for both modeling for surgical procedures and also in orthopedics. We're seeing joint replacements made out of 3D printed items. But there has been a group of researchers that have been working toward making 3D printed organs for organ transplants. One example that I came across that didn't make it into the final draft was a case out of Northwestern University where they had a team of researchers that actually printed and implanted a 3D ovary into a mouse and the mouse was able to produce babies from that and the babies were able to produce babies just to make sure that there were no long-term effects of these 3D printed organs. So that was really exciting to watch and that study was from 2017. I was reading an interview with those researchers and they were talking about the next step was going to a larger animal and more complex organs with the goal toward 3D printing human organs. And so I think within 20 years time, it's realistic that this could happen. This obviously would be a game changer from a clinical perspective, but also the workforce implications are going to be interesting to watch because to the earlier point about these new jobs created because of technology, they're going to combine several disciplines. This is definitely one. You're talking about a combination of biochemistry, engineering, also the lab workers who are going to create the quote unquote bio ink that's going to be used in these printers. So I'm here for it. I think it's going to be awesome to watch and it's going to be a game changer. When you say you wrote a little bit about it, you wrote a lot about it, but it got chopped a little bit. We know how the process works. One last question. When you talk to members and health systems about this, Janelle, how are they using this report? Is it these are conversations they're already having and this is supplemental? Are they still not quite thinking this far ahead? And this is like helpful food for thought to make sure the things they're prioritizing today are going to have a longer term impact. How are they using this research? We're hearing some that are saying some of this is a kickstart to reaffirming the work that they're starting to do now. For others, it's helping push their thinking around the time horizon they're looking or how they're willing to go to do that. So really kind of a conversation starter about not being so limited in our thinking or the parameters in which we're looking to. And then for others, they said it has helped to reveal areas that when they were thinking about the workforce of the future, they had not necessarily considered. I think a nice example of that is some of the work we did, one of the drivers we looked at was the environment going in. We at least were reasonably well informed about the impact of broader climate change, but I think the research helped illustrate the need for a workforce expertise within health systems to be able to both manage it, both the impacts and help to kind of reduce health systems contributions to that, both from logistics, how do we mobilize resources, 
does minimize supply chain disruptions when a climate change happens. That's expertise we see in industries like the airline industry, but we're going to need to see in healthcare. How do we build a deeper bench for certain clinical areas? Great research from my colleagues at Vizient highlighted the fact that following a climate disaster, more heart attacks and strokes. But we also are going to see an acceleration of the chronic disease burden that we're already seeing. Asthma, skin cancer, hypertension, those are workforces that we're going to have to potentially bolster to be able to deal with these needs. For some, it's been a, a reflection of we were looking within these areas, but this is kind of widen the scope of when we think about workforce and what that needs to look like going forward. Thank you both so much. Terrific body of research. Thanks for sharing it and sharing your perspective here on SG2 Perspectives. Look forward to having you back again soon. Thank you, Trevor. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.